Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. This episode of Transform is sponsored by Griffin Living. Headquartered in Calabasas, California, the family-run company develops and operates senior living communities throughout the U.S. We talked about how the company first got into the senior housing business with a major capital infusion from China, how Griffin Living plans to attract baby boomers to live in its communities, and what the company is preparing for in the coming months and years as the senior living industry recovers from the COVID-19 pandemic. So here's my interview with Paul Griffin III, founder, president, and CEO of Griffin Living. Paul Griffin III, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. I wanted to start by learning a little bit more about Griffin Living. Tell me about how you started this company, what your primary areas of development are, and how you view the senior living market today. Thank you. Well, first of all, Tim, thank you very much for having me on your show. I'm really am interested in being engaged in the conversation in developing the conversation with with other people that are are interested in the life that senior citizens have and and where we are as a society and where we might be in in the uh, housing industry to uh, to service uh, this market segment. Our family has been in real estate development for five I'm five generations. I'm number five, and actually the <laughs> the sixth generation or um, they've been to Harvard and MIT and Stanford and, and University of Chicago, uh, Oxford, kind of places. And you know, there's a bunch of them, and they're coming up to <laughs> push me out of the saddle <laughs> as soon as they can. So the sixth generation is you know get, getting ready to launch. What the Griffins have been doing in in the 20th century was developing a housing and then ma- and then master plan communities. We estimate that before me, we did about somewhere between <clears throat> 10 and 11 billion dollars worth of, of development, and then in my own career, about four and a half billion dollars of of development to date. So there was some scale to it, and we've enjoyed it. We've really addressed the needs of families and you know where they were going in different in different lifestyles and different locations that we have in the in the suburban markets and in the major cities in the U.S., particularly here in California um, in the 20th century, because it didn't take rocket science just to hop in a, <laughs> a part of the country that was growing by leaps and bounds and family formation. So we almost, you know, we almost couldn't fail at it. In my mind, in, since about 2010, there was, there was no capital to beg, borrow, or steal in the U.S., uh, so I went to China and I get a major uh, capital infusion from the Chinese uh, co- from Chinese companies that uh, wanted to invest in in the U.S. in real estate development, this, and that was their opportunity. But they really wanted us to focus on senior housing. And so we did. We had a lot of properties. The first thing we did by about 2012 is we had developed a, a senior citizen. Um, 55 plus apartment model. We did it with uh, spas and pools and cabanas and all of that. It was really, really nice. Won a gold medal for the best project in America that year, and uh, which was our first senior project. But that really opened our eyes to the customers themselves, to senior citizens, and you know what they were looking for. What are their hopes and dreams? How do we solve them? You know, what do we not do as well as we wish we we could have? One interesting uh, anecdote from that that was so much fun and you know really showed me about these people in their lives is we 
our, our marketing director had a speed dating for seniors night. <laughs> it was so well attended, it blocked traffic uh, to a major boulevard in, in the city that the project was in. And the police actually had to come and have escorts and close it down. So wow. it really, but there's a lot of life in those guys. And they were so much, you know, so much fun and they are great. That got us into seniors and understanding them. And then we went from there. I, you, you, then I started to get personally really interested. And I would go to and shop every senior center I could find, talk to leaders in the industry. And there were some, just some great leaders in senior assisted living and senior living, independent living and memory care needs. Just, just amazing what I learned and what I saw. And that got me in thinking about if I could serve this customer better, we're good real estate developers. You know, that, that is sort of what gets us our entree into any, any uh, industry we go into. But seniors themselves, to really focus on that market segment, and we have, and um, where we are and what I'd like to talk about today as we have time is just that our senior citizens are still have life. So whether it's somebody that's in their mid-80s and maybe they don't have a lot of years left, but they're still alive and they still, you know, they have needs and cares. Their needs are greater in many ways, but you can't really say that a senior citizen at that age has more needs than say a toddler. One on one side, we look at them and say, my gosh, we'll give everything because the toddlers are so valuable and we love them so much. But you know what? Our senior citizens in their last few years of life also have lots of needs. We also love them, but we don't seem to care for them the same way. And I believe that's going to change because more we have more senior citizens coming. I think there's more people putting their minds to this part of uh, to this part of our population, and that's enter the Griffins. That that is where we are, and it's sourcing the locations, ably doing the developments, and ably managing the healthcare, the the uh, restaurant services, the activities. You know all of it, and. Um, you know, I'd like to talk more about those is, if you wish today. I think they're I think they're pretty interesting. So it sounds like you do a lot of different kinds of development, or you have. So what differentiates senior living from some of the other areas of development that you've handled in the past? Like what what in your opinion makes this industry unique? Excellent question. Always, I've been taught from my grandfather, my dad, and then when I was in business school. Always taught start with your you know customer. Really understand your customer. Understand what they want, what they hope to get, you know, and then the trade offs that they have to make. Because, of course, any product that anybody develops or delivers, you know, have, have trade offs. It's you know nicer, faster, heavier, more comfortable, more expensive, less expensive, whatever it is. Um, so the, the, really understanding our customer and what are their trade offs. So for senior housing, you know, seniors are, are being moved. But usually, uh, in in uh, conjunction with their 60, 60 something oldest daughter, um, usually moving her mother, or father, or both into some kind of uh, of care facility where they hope to find is you know apartments with you know very comfortable and you know nice like their housing was nice that they that they're coming from. And then the, uh, the kind of care, not, not care that they don't need, but care that they might need as, as, as they evolve. When we were doing master plan communities for families, we did this, we thought about the same thing. What does our customer want? Why does a family drive out here to this suburban area? And, you know, what are they hoping to find here? And, you know, for families, it was kind of security. 
it was a comfortable house that you know met their needs, uh, the yard that might meet their needs, the streets, the tree-lined streets, maybe cul-de-sacs, you know, the, the kind of neighborhood that they want to raise their children in and that they want to live in and be a part of the community. So, and then the, the trade-offs there, and so how we can make it, a, you know, less or more more expensive depending on which part of the master plan we were talking about. You know, where where our green belts are walking walking for families, the kids could walk to the grammar schools that we would build. They could walk to the shopping centers in the evenings, or you know, if they wanted to, or the mothers could, or the shopping centers were you know a short drive away. You could take green belts or drive around, but the shopping office buildings that we would build in the retail office buildings that we would build in the schools, all of that. So it was always thinking about a family and their needs working level in senior housing our approach of finding that is their, their needs are getting, you know, more acute. It's not, they don't really as interested in an investment in the real estate because that doesn't make a lot of sense for them. So, you know, we, we, the Griffins aren't approaching them as a for sale model, although we certainly could do that. And there are companies that do that. Our, our approach is really look, you have needs. Let's let's have the housing be something of a level that you'd be accustomed to seeing. You know, wherever you're from, whatever your lifestyle has been, your 60 year old daughter has to feel good about putting her mother in this facility. That this facility seems upscale and and is also very convenient for a 60 year old daughter to visit regularly, bring her children in uh, to visit their grandmother, that that kind of thing. So we, you know, the location. We like to say for our location for senior citizens, uh, you know, try and go where there's a, a super Walmart nearby, you know, because that's by definition, that's that is the crossroads of, of you know, the community and where, and where they might be. And that the idea is a uh, 60 year old daughter and uh, her children to come and visit their grandmother. So the location, you know, would work. The interiors, we walk into one of our buildings. This is just better architecture. We had this when we were doing uh, hotels that we were developing. But, I, you know, if you think of putting your mind's eye, walking into a, you know, a hotel lobby or, you know, any building and either seeing dark, you know, a reception desk is kind of dark, you know, the, the entry doesn't go anywhere. Maybe you look into a restaurant or something. Or you walk into a hotel and the receptions may be over on the side, but what you look at is light, natural light coming in and distance. So you can see outwards and upwards and have natural light. So it kind of lifts you up and makes you feel good about walking in. And that's just a principle we have no matter what kind of a common building we build, an apartment, hotel, uh, uh, senior housing. Actually, even in our housing, in our, in our family housing, we would always make that a priority to walk in, look up, look out, have, have natural light. It's not that hard to do. And it, it makes for a much more engaging building that you walk into. It's just more natural. Yeah. We also, um, you know, we, we work on the sound system. So it just, there's a, you can't even tell, but there's a background music that's uplifting at different times of the day. We've got a, a scent company working on what you smell. Uh, the same guys that do Nordstrom's and Neiman Marcus and all those guys. And we want to have, depending on, you know, what time of day it is, what season it is, you can't even tell that you're smelling something, but, but you are, you know, and um, just all of your senses. We're working with a DNA theater group who will bring the walls and the floors to life with animation. So, you know, as I'm in the, as I'm in the main rooms and um, they're having our activities, we want, it would feel like if it was spring, the, the ambiance of the room and with the DNA theater, with the walls and, and all, would feel a little like, you know, pastoral and spring 
comfortable and inviting, but would take you out of the room that you're in and into more special space. Or, or DNA Theater, one of the things I love with those guys that they're developing for us. And, and DNA Theater do you know huge concert halls and what have you all around the world. I mean, they're major companies. So ours are tiny little projects for them, but, but we believe in the sense and the ambiance of the entire building. The gathering area, and it, it's in a different part of our building. We don't put our restaurants around where activities or entry are, so I don't want to smell or see dishes or anything like that. But the restaurant is uh, has a menu, you order you know what what you want from the menu that day. The chef's creative. They want to have you know Sunday brunches. You want to have carving stations and omelet stations and all of that. You want to have you know a, a steak night where maybe they're outside of the outdoor patio in the outdoor. Uh, kitchen, which is, you know, a legal public kind of a kitchen, but we would have a barbecue and, you know, smoke and chef hat on and, you know, the residents, this is barbecue night. Maybe they order pasta. They could have, we would serve them whatever they want from the menu. And we have at the iPads that, uh, that our, our service staff walk around with, they'll know what you ordered yesterday. They'll know what you ate, what you didn't eat, what you had for lunch, so we can also give good reporting to the family, keep track of you know how people are doing, how our residents are doing. But in the gathering area, as you're getting ready to go into the dining room, if it's, uh, say it's luau night, we want the walls to turn into Waikiki Beach. I want the floor to look like I'm standing next to the sand on the beach and, and have the smells and the sounds. And, you know, it's luau night, or, you know, maybe we have a, you know, Spanish night and we go to Puerto Vallarta, you know, it's just bringing life into the buildings is just not that hard with today's technology, but you have to put a little extra work into it. And that's what we do. And I, you know, I, I really want this to be the best time of life for these, for these people. And I think the industry is going this way. I believe that, you know, we're not alone in looking for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all that sounds very interesting. You know, you had mentioned programmatic elements earlier, and uh, I think we've we've already been talking about some of those. But are there any other programmatic elements that you think differentiate Griffin Living communities from some of your competitors? One thing that we're we're starting into, and a number of our competitors are are looking. Uh, well, our approach to the industry is to have um, apartments that are nice, two bedroom apartments or one bedroom apartments that are nice, and very comfortable, and have those set up so that as senior citizens want to move in in a more independent way. So we always have a kitchen and washer and dryer and all that in all of our units. And even though a resident may, you know, as they get beyond it, they're not really using the kitchen, but they're not maybe, you know, we, we will wash your clothes in your own washer dryer. But as they move in originally, a lot of them, oh, I do my own laundry. I'm happy. You know, I like to cook my meals. They could do that in their apartment and then sort of transition into the uh, you know needs needs that they might start to have or conveniences you know we we think of kind of unencumbered living so you know as, you, as you're there and you realize I don't have to do all this stuff <laughs> I can spend my time enjoying myself at, at whatever I want so you know our idea is to let them come in with the dignity of this is just a really nice apartment complex and then you know sort of age into it as they will the other programmatic area in the industry is also uh, starting to go this way is for what we call transitional care. And I, I don't know what term the industry will land on. I think most of us refer to it as transitional care today. But what it is, is somebody that goes from assisted living to memory care need, but they're not a flight risk. They don't need to be locked up. They maybe are kind of understanding a little bit, you know, off and on, but 
they're starting to have some memory care needs. So we can offer them transitional care, which we get, we put more staff in that uh, part of the building so that they can help remind people where they are, answer questions. Maybe it's the 50th time they've answered the same question today, but doesn't mean that that person needs to go into the memory care wing. They can still live with the rest of the residents. They can still be brought down. We'll walk them down if they want to eat in the main restaurants or if they feel, you know, like they want to be a little bit apart. We also have an area that they can take their meals and do their activities. And, you know, the industry doesn't really know transit in terms of transitional care, how needs based that this group is going to be. And will it, will it turn out eventually that they really do need to always eat in their own dining area and they really need to always have their own activity area because we're not sure we're developing the opportunity for both and uh, talking to, to other people that are in the, in the business they offer to date anyway, they're offering these residents, you know, either come down and be with the larger group, we'll have more help for you or, you know, stay in, in your part of the, in your part of the building. But I think that that's a really interesting part of the industry that that's coming forward. We're not alone in, in doing it, uh, managing it. And all we're, you know, again, all we're doing, Tim, is managing what does our customer need? You know, what are their evolving needs as they get into this age? And how can we, you know, give the dignity and the joy of life that they deserve? And, um, you know, I thought families like it and that's what they want for their loved ones. And that's really for the Griffins, that, that's really where we're at, service customer. I know that Griffin Living has a registered nurse on staff to help advise on things like healthcare. I also know that you partner with operators that are operating your community. So how does this work, given that arrangement? And just generally, tell me more about that role and how it supports your overall strategy. Yes, Griffin's greatest value to real estate development is in the selection of the sites that we go to the ability to work with the communities, each of the communities to get the approvals and entitlements that we need, um, our ability to develop the, the actual finished plans, the correct budgets, the correct time schedules, so that the community that approves a project is confident that when they do approve a project, it'll be completed, unforeseen you know, issues and obstacles will get solved, the community will be happy with us. Are in the investment community that, that we need, the debt and the equity to come on to our projects with us, have to be confident that, you know, in this development, it's going to happen on time and at budget and at a sales value that, that uh, you know, meets everybody's investment or, or uh, you know, loan hurdles that they have. We've found to that end, and it's a long way around the barn to, to that end, which of the activities, you know, are better controlled by us. So vertically integrating, you know, any part of the operation or are we better served by you know buying out services at this point we just you know we looked hard at whether we should operate our own buildings and we came to the conclusion that that's actually there's a number of great operators that can manage the the healthcare and the food service and all of that activities for us we're pretty picky about you know who who we will work with and the better better operators are picky picky about which developers they'll work with so, you know, we found a you know mutual connections there. We hired BB Reed, she's our RN, uh, she's a master's degree and manage, master's degree RN, and she's also uh, managed several assisted living sites. She's really good with uh, with gerontology and the needs of our of our aging. She understands the families well. We hired BB onto our staff because she had the same depth of character and you know, personality and hopes and dreams for 
for the people that we're servicing. So she was a made a good part of our team. It's very helpful to me because as much as I think I know everything, I actually, <laughs> you know, actually there's not that much in, in senior needs I'm, I'm gaining all the time, but you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a, a restauranteur, you know, <laughs> I'm not a, a, a tour bus activity director. I'm not really any of those. I've thought about all of them. So enter BB. She's really good with the healthcare side of it and she can help us manage our operators. She puts good challenges up for operators. They're very good at, you know, information back to BB to us. So I like having BB on our staff. Um, you know, she's a joy to work with, you know, really bright lady, very energetic. And I, I think that she's allowing us to not have to become operators ourselves. And um, over time, I, you know, be, it would be nice if we never had to be an operator. We will if we have to, but I, I think we're solving the problem pretty well right now. We had three operators. One was Thrive Communities, Jeremy Ragsdale out in the Southeast. Great guy, younger, up, up and coming. His team are younger and they're really you know, using technology, I think, to great advantage. And you know, I think they'll have a lot to say in the industry to that end. Uh, we're working with uh, Lloyd Jones, uh, a guy named Todd Petty there. He's a great senior housing manager and operator, understands the healthcare and the rest of it. He and BB have worked together, you know, off and on many times through the years. And out here in California, we're working with Solver as, as uh, uh, they're out of Florida, uh, Kristen Ward. And uh, she's, she's very bright and energetic and just love working with, with her and her team. They're doing our CME and our Westlake project. They're getting started down in Temecula with us. I'm positive that we'll, well, I'm pretty positive that we would be working with them at Laguna Niguel and San Juan Capistrano and up in Santa Clarita. So I like Solvere for our California operations. I like having BB and, you know, in the relationship. And if it, if it can keep us focused on what we do best. And um, so I, you know, as we're trying to develop down in Boca Raton or up in Danbury, Connecticut, you know, they're pretty far away. And you know, if we, if we have to operate, I've got to really keep everybody focused closer to home, but you know, I'd, I'd rather keep a, I'd rather keep a wider net and not have to vertically integrate so much of the operation. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I know that you've probably learned some lessons in your master plan developments. So tell me about, can you apply those lessons to senior living? And if so, what are you applying and how are you applying it? I think the biggest lesson is capitalization in the business cycles. So, you know, developers are whether we're doing our general contracting or our sales and marketing, uh, which are, you know, it's a huge sales complexes in those master plan communities or in senior housing, you know, the, the general contracting and then the operations with Silver, all of it depends on capital and all, you know, real estate, main street, you know, in every industry depend on, on uh, good available capital at good prices. So I think that the lesson for master plan communities is paying attention which we always have to the business cycle, but they've been able to anticipate capital movement. So, you know, we've had a in in 2008, you know, Lehman Brothers going you know out of business and just a shock to the capital markets. <laughs> Matter of fact, back, right about that time, I ran into the uh, the head of real estate at, at Lehman Brothers at a conference I was at, and I, you know, I, they had put about thirty forty million dollars into one of our projects at the time, and we had managed to, you know, have sold it by that time. And I, I was talking to, to my family, the capital that you made available is just so vital. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. The, the poor man looked at me and says, oh, 
so where did the project go? And I said, well, it was completed. We paid you back. You know, when you paid you with your interest. He said, oh, thank God. You're one of the only people to, to, to do that lately. So you just realize that, you know, capital cycles are, gosh, they're, they're, they're painful. They're painful for all of us. And um, I think, you know, going to China to get capital, which is what got us into to senior living, I couldn't beg, borrow, or steal any capital. And, you know, the Chinese had all kinds of capital available. Very, you know, it's hard. You're talking a billion dollars from China coming here with us. That was hard to work with them, but I enjoy the, the individuals. I enjoy their, their friends. I care about them very much. There's a bureaucratic nature in China that's very different than here in the U.S. and uh, getting them to understand, you know, what's legal in the U.S. and what's not, <laughs> you know, and how to get in, how to get their, their capital turning, you know, was amazing. But that, that was the issue at that point. And, you know, today's issue is capital is, is worried about senior housing. Is COVID going to close it all down? And, you know, there's going to be no more assisted living, you know, and no, of course not. There, there is assisted living. The needs are there. They're not going away, but we're having a challenge of how to, you know, not have outbreaks of flu in our, in our communities. And by, by and large, the assisted living community has done pretty well with this. The bigger, I think, challenge for seniors in, in our communities is not that they're going to get COVID. It's that they're so lonely because we have to lock them down so much. And that loneliness month after month after month, you can't let people in or out because you can't risk one family to another or our caregivers to other people. It, it's wearing on them. Uh, my niece, bright young woman. It's a master's in history from UCLA. She's a bright girl. She's working in senior housing for another competitor in the area. And she hasn't been able to see our family at all through all of this because she can't risk bringing, you know, COVID back to any of her residents. And, you know, that's really where the industry is today and, and the challenge and, and uh, uh, capital is looking at it saying, is this the end of the industry? And, you know, do we want to invest in these? And so, you know, right now, you, the challenge is, you know, they, they waterfall through from one, from one level to the next. Yeah. There's also been a lot of talk, I know, especially during this pandemic, about what this will do to the 55-plus and active adult communities. You know, I think that just overall, there's been a very big emphasis in these kind of communities as of late. You know, a lot of new providers have gotten into this. So how do you see the 55-plus and active adult you know, let's call the the for sale 55 plus and the rental active adult markets, you know, how do you see those? And um, I guess, you know, do, do you see those as maybe like serving as a bridge to the larger senior living industry or not? Great question. I, generally speaking, I think of traditionally, we think of, of a 55 plus rentals as being people that have always rented or perhaps through divorce or, you know, what have you, there isn't an, an asset in a house that they're, that they're moving from, but they're, they are renters and they stay as renters, but they want more peace. The moving out to a, a retirement community and buying a, a, you know, a smaller move down house, but have all the activities available, golf clubs, what have you, tennis clubs, pools, and whatever. Those have been an option. I think for healthy people is, is they're retired. And I, I kind of think it's might not fair and I'm not an expert at it, but I th thinking of those communities, I kind of think of guys, you know, that finish working and, and they, they want to go see their buddies and play cards and golf. And so they, you know, grab their wife and say, we're moving out to a, you know, to a, to a retirement community, uh, you know, outside of town and the wife, 
you know, is, it moves out with her husband thinking, oh, that'll be nice, but I'd really rather stay here near my kids and my grandkids. So I'll move out with you. And then the, the husband gets older and the wife says, good, now we're moving back. I'm going to be around my family, which is what she always wanted anyway. Right. Um, generally speaking, I, I think of the industry and it may, it may not be exactly accurate, but, but I think there is a lot of, I think there is truth to, to my thinking. The 55 plus I think is developing today, just lately. And, and it was what, what happened with us in about 2012, we started our, our active adult model. And that, that is that the activities and the spas and all are so good that you actually have people that, that are thinking, well, I really don't want to take care of my house. I've always owned a house and it's, I might as well rent. And I really don't need to go to an independent that's 55 plus should cost about 10% more to 20% more than a family apartment of similar magnitude in any community. So if you're, you know, 2000, you're $2,000 for family apartment, say you'd be about 24, 2500, some, some $2,500 for a 55 plus if it's got excellent amenities and they have to be really good. But that is again about an, you know, another four or $500 per month cheaper than an independent or should be about that much cheaper than a real, a true independent community. True independent communities, you know, you could have one meal a day offered. They're generally because it's such a luxury decision, they're more exquisite in terms of their, you know, land plan and their, their apartments and all. And it's an option. A lot of a lot of times you go into independent living because you're thinking I'm eventually want assisted living and I'd like to be in a community where I can kind of as I get older still stay here and get services brought over or just move to a different part of the community. Fifty five plus, I don't think the thinking is so much about, you know, the end years. I think the thinking is more, you know, I'm active, I wanna have an active lifestyle, I still drive, but I really don't wanna have the burden of a house but I want all the amenities that I would had is, is like I was in my house. So it's, it's not just like moving into a family apartment for people that are just, you know, apartment renters. And that's all they, that's all they aspire to. These are really people that have achieved more and aspired to more and they're looking for more. I want to get your also want to get your take on the future, Paul, to start with, you know, it's, I think it's no secret that the last year has been pretty painful just for the industry and really for the, for the world, you know, as the pandemic has, has really dragged on. And so that's resulted in uh, a lot of canceled plans, I think, in this industry, but with the vaccine, you know, sort of rolling out now, um, I'm also hearing a lot of providers these days talk about the prospect of a recovery and when that will happen. So, you know, how do you see the recovery taking shape in the senior living industry? You know, what, what might be ahead? It's, you know, it's a good question. Our, certainly our projects, our projects that are under construction are pushing forward and are we've been very pleased that the contractors have been able to come out to the projects and work. We've been very pleased that, that families have been signing up for and putting deposits down. So we're actually way ahead of schedule in our current projects in terms of their, their speed of delivery is about on schedule, but the speed of which they're, they're leasing up is faster than we would have expected. That's really reassuring to us because we, you know, we, we do think that there, there will be a continuing and growing need uh, for the services in, in uh, senior housing, and that that's proving to be the case. You know, in terms of starting new projects and capitalization, it, it's been really tough. Major capital providers just, you know, 
say, look, we like you. We like you Griffins, you know, as much as, as anybody, but you know, let's wait till the pandemic's over. We don't like to invest into uncertain times. So it's, it's made our plans much more difficult. We're, we're still working on them. We're still talking to our capital providers. We're very close to closing two of them right now, but my goodness, it's <laughs> having COVID, you know, re-arise and the, through, through November and December and January surely hasn't made our life easier. <laughs> I'm beyond tired of it myself. We, uh, the vaccine is rolling out. Our, our entire team uh, has been vaccinated now. And uh, as all of our residents that are signing up with us who wish vaccinations have all received their first vaccinations. So that I think that the, you know, the fact that the vaccinations are getting out there, you know, is, is huge in giving people confidence to get out and, and get moving. And, you know, I, I really hope that we do. The plan, I think, is for a million vaccinations a day. And I think I have that right. And if, mm-hmm. that, if that's true, then that really is giving us hope because you're, you know, within 90 days, you're 100 million vaccinations and you're, you're um, you know, you've had what I think 30 million cases of COVID. I think I've got that about right, something like that. And, you know, you're starting to get into the most vulnerable segments of the economy and in a uh, population to get them vaccinated, that'll just get people out again. And, and then, I, you know, as winter turns to spring, there's always a, you know, viruses do tend to get dispersed a little bit more and, you know, le- a little bit less on us. It was sad. And again, I'm not a doctor. So, you know, people that know more than me about this, forgive me. But my speculation is, you know, pe- virus was dying down as we were going through summer and people just were able to be out and breathe fresh air more. Seems like there's always more a virus of every kind we get locked down in the in the colder seasons and we're breathing on each other and you know in, in trapped spaces so as the second wave hit of course it was when we were getting closed up more and and i, I would expect spring it open up more and then a uh, virus is coming on so i'm long, long way around the barn on that one i'm i am expecting a better spring all the way around for the industry the fact that project look aging seniors are aging they're coming in the cohorts are moving in demand is go is getting greater for this not less and the fact that there haven't been buildings started or remodels done or you know all the plans of you know many plans have been set aside or or uh, you know slowed down if demand keeps going, it means we're going to hit a, a time when we start building again and we start you know, remodeling and offer, offer units again. There's going to be some pent-up demand that hits. They, they're just, there has to be. And when you think about the longer term, you know, the baby boomers are the biggest, biggest cohort. Now, now the millennials have just surpassed in the last couple of years. But, you know, in, in what was it, 1998, I, I, sorry, 2000 and, 2018, I think that was a crossover at 72 million baby boomers and 72 million uh, uh, millennials. Now, boomers mm-hmm. are you know less and less because you know we're dying out, and the and the uh, uh, millennials aren't as fast, so the millennials will, will be more. But boomers, the first boomers turning 76 years old this year, and that it's just a huge cohort coming behind them. And 76 is your first kind of age it's looking for 55 plus they're looking to move out to the to the communities where they can buy and live lifestyle in another five years they'll be really pushing into assisted living beyond the, the silent generation that's in the assisted living today and you know we're, we're really undersupplied so i think the future in terms of demand is excellent i think that demand for boomers is going to be vastly different boomers have lived better uh, we expect more we demand more and you know i think the industry will deliver 
In what ways do you think this pandemic is going to permanently change the senior living industry? I've heard a range of ideas on this topic, so I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Boy, it's interesting. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what other people think about it, too, uh, always. But, I, well, number one, the protections that we're going to take against having viruses loose in our centers, you know, are, are, are here. And, and I, I think those are also going to start happening in our office buildings and, you know, hotels and anywhere where people commonly gather and maybe even at restaurants or what have you, air, you know, terminals and airports. But some way to knock the virus back. And, you know, what we're debating is, do we put you through an archway with blue light or is that that would knock the virus off of you? But that kills all bacteria, you know, all all sort of virus bacteria, good and bad. Is that really what we want to do? So that's an open, active debate right now. Certainly in our uh, in our apartments, the uh, the tote bags, all your personal kinds of things you touch would go into a a bag, a tote bag that would would uh, have blue light would kill all the virus out of it. We are fogging inside our buildings with anti-viral fogs to kill everything out. And so that's a daily process to, to make sure that we're you know, killing any virus that could be loose. For the Griffins, we use a variable refrigerant heating and air systems, which are a little higher end. They cost us about $2 million per building extra to put in. Um, I wish I could tell you that I was smart enough, you know, when we were making our plans that, you know, virus would come around and we really need this, but I'm not. It just was, a, it's a much more cost effective, uses a lot less energy and delivers heating and cooling to rooms better. It's why I went, why I went for it, for our developments. And the other thing that I'm, I've always been manic about is having fresh air exchanges. So we get four fresh air exchanges of our, of our bedrooms every day for, uh, sorry, every hour for exchanges. And uh, in our main rooms, 10 exchanges per hour. That was important to me because it, fresh air gets carbon dioxide out. It gets virus and germs. It's fresher. People feel better. But it does mean you have to heat and condition a lot more air because you have a lot more fresh air as a percentage of all of your air coming into every room. So we needed a more efficient system to get that kind of fresh air. We also designed, it's kind of interesting, we designed our units so that our hallways and our major rooms push air outwards through our apartments. So in a, in a home, in, a, in a, my house, if I open a door, the heating and air pull air out of the hallways. So it goes from our bedrooms, air gets pushed out into our bedrooms and sucked in in the, in the common area between them in the hallways. It's the way houses are built. And that's the way a, a project would generally be built. In, in ours, we make sure that we have more air being pushed into our hallway so that if you open an apartment door, air goes from the hallway into the apartment. And the idea is with all of the incontinence and, and uh, smells that come up really permeate in from individual apartments. And our, our, you know, we can have so much fresher air and you know, buildings smell better and the air exchanges having people just feel better. And then we have N95 masks. It was the other thing. Our, all of our air goes through an uh, equivalent N95 mask. And that was because of the variable refrigerant. So those are very good. I, the industry, I think, is looking for blue lights inside their air circulation and maybe uh, high, electrostatic uh, to pull the particles out. So the, the other ways that they're trying to filter, the industry's trying to filter air. But that filter air, I think, is a big deal. And I, I think that's one of our best defenses as well as fogging and killing virus out uh, every day. And I, th- I think that'll go on. And I think it'll go on in, in you know, really all industries where people get together. All right. Last question for you, Paul. This is a big one. Looking out into the future, 
where would you like Griffin Living to be five years from now in terms of how you operate in the senior living market? Do you have any big goals that you can share with us? Sure. Thank you for asking. Well, I want the next year, you know, the, I was trained, you know, I remember the ninth grade, my mom drove me out in, this, in our family station wagon to a project. You know, it was in a different suburb and said, get out, you work for, for him, pointed at a guy that I thought might kill me. <laughs> but I've always had the business and been trained in the business at college and graduate school and did my first, you know, real estate development while I was at college because working out for the, for the guys in the projects was not something I, I wanted to have to do forever. So I tied up some land and, and um, got it, it mapped, created value and, and built houses and made some money. And with that, I got into real estate development and, and with my dad's support and reputation and, and my grandpa's advice. So for my, uh, what I want to hand down to my kids and my nieces and nephews is the same opportunities. And so what I'd like to see happen over the next five years is get, get really, we are focused. We do other kinds of developments, but we really wanted to focus on seniors for the next, for the next cycle of our business. And, and, uh, I'd, I'd like to see us developing in the southeast in Florida. I'd like to see us in in the you know greater New York market. Right now we're in Danbury. I'd like to see something in Washington, in Northern Virginia. My daughter is a Rhodes Scholar and Stanford MBA is living there and working. And I'd like to see the opportunity be there for her too. Here in California, you know, we're here in Phoenix. We're, we're working on a project in Scottsdale. So you know, we're, we'd like to be spread out and developing. And then I'd like to have the development plans strong enough and the understanding of being in seniors strong enough that the next generation can come in and develop product if they want or move into operations and say, well, we, you know, like my other niece, she's excellent. And she really has a passion about her residence and caregiving. Then I would like it to be an opportunity for her to say, well, I could be, a, I could manage a caregiving company, you know, or I could be a part of a bigger team and stick with, say, Silver or, you know, big group like that, but have the opportunities to, to pursue their passions for always think about customers. What does a customer need and how can I service it? And if we do, then, then we're, you know, there's always a future for us. Well, those are good words to end on, Paul. Thank you so much for coming on Transform today. This has been a great interview. I feel like I learned a lot. Thank you for having me. It's really a joy to, to be a part of the conversation. I want to know what other people think. So <laughs> tell me where I'm crazy. I really want to understand. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to thank Griffin Living for sponsoring today's episode. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.